all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Allie Russell. This is Think Radio. From NPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, where we discuss issues involving your children as they're growing up. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. Cardiovascular disease continues to be one of the major causes of death in our country. Although we seldom think about preventing heart disease and stroke as a child, starting early can have positive effects down the line. Why should you be worried about heart disease and stroke in your family? How can you decrease your children's risk? We'll be talking about heart health today on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. You can share your comments and questions with us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Janine Herbst. After a bruising confirmation battle, former Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions was sworn in today as U.S. Attorney General. NPR Scott Horsley reports President Trump promised that Sessions will be a force for law and order. At a White House swearing-in ceremony, President Trump called Sessions a determined attorney general for what the president labeled dangerous times. Although overall crime rates remain low, Trump says Sessions will address what he called the menace of violent crime, as well as the threat of terrorism. Today's ceremony should be seen as a clear message to the gang members and drug dealers terrorizing innocent people. Your day is over. A new era of justice begins. And it begins right now. Trump also signed a series of executive actions directing the Justice Department to crack down on violent crime, crimes against law enforcement, and criminal cartels. Scott Horsley, NPR News, the White House. And the White House is hosting a session with senators aimed at easing the confirmation of President Trump's Supreme Court pick, Judge Neil Gorsuch. As NPR's Tamara Keith reports, the White House is reaching across the aisle. It's a lunchtime listening session with the president, vice president, and a mix of Republican and Democratic senators. Democrats, the White House says, are expected to attend include Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota, John Tester of Montana, Joe Donnelly of Indiana, and Joe Joe Manchin of West Virginia. They are all moderate Democrats from red states, and they're seen as the most likely to support confirming Judge Gorsuch. NPR's Tamara Keith. Now, this meeting comes as Senators say Gorsuch has expressed to them dismay about the attacks on the judiciary. Trump has tweeted about a so-called judge and criticized the three-judge appeals court panel that heard arguments earlier this week about his executive order temporarily barring refugees and travel from seven Muslim-majority nations. 
Construction on the final stretch of the Dakota Access Pipeline has started. Energy Transfer Partners started the work late yesterday after getting final permission from the Army to proceed. But the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe on its website says it's filed a legal challenge trying to block construction of the last part of the $3.8 billion crossing, this of the Missouri River in southern North Dakota. Now That work was stalled for months by opposition from the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and environmentalists who say the pipeline would cross culturally sensitive lands and impact drinking water. The number of Americans filing for first-time unemployment benefits fell last week. The Labor Department says claims dropped 12,000 to a seasonally adjusted 234,000. That's the lowest in nearly 43 years. Wall Street is trading higher at this hour. The Dow was up 127 points at 20,181. The Nasdaq is up 36 points at 57.18 and the S&P 500 up 13. You're listening to NPR News from Washington. A powerful winter storm hitting the northeast has caused airlines to cancel thousands of flights. Up to eight inches of snow has already covered parts of New York and Pennsylvania. More than a foot is expected by the end of the day in New York City. Hundreds of schools are closed in New York and more in New England. A federal judge ruled against the proposed merger between insurance giants Anthem and Cigna. NPR's Yuki Noguchi reports Anthem says it intends to appeal the ruling to save the $54 billion merger. The judge agreed with government antitrust prosecutors who argued the merger would hurt competition in many markets around the country. This ruling comes on the heels of a separate decision against the $33 billion merger agreement between other insurers, Aetna and Humana. In response, Anthem says it intends to file a notice of appeal and request an expedited hearing. The company says the deal would save money for consumers. Cigna, however, says it is reviewing the decision. The merger agreement requires Anthem to pay Cigna a $1.85 billion breakup fee if the deal does not meet regulatory muster. Yuki Noguchi, NPR News, Washington. A White House order temporarily freezing any agency regulations that haven't already been published is impacting bees. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service was set to place the rust-patched bumblebee on the endangered list tomorrow. But officials say because of that White House order, that will be delayed until late March. That bee is among many that play a vital role in pollinating crops and wild plants. It was once common across the East Coast and much of the Midwest, but its numbers have plummeted since the late 1990s. This is NPR News from Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Bluevine, offering businesses revolving lines of credit to cover expenses, make payroll, purchase supplies, and to expand. Credit lines up to $100,000. Learn more at Bluevine.com. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, kids at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. Well, last Friday was National Wear Red Day and February is American Heart Month. 
While we've made major advances in the prevention and treatment of heart attack and stroke in the last 40 years, they remain one of the leading causes of death in this country. Knowing what the risks are and starting early can be key to success in preventing these conditions. We're talking about Heart Health Month this morning on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens with our special guest, Dr. Jonathan Smith. As usual, we'll be taking your calls during the hour concerning any issues or topics that you might have a question or comment about. You can reach us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 672 7464 or send an email to at org. So welcome back, Dr. Smith. So Dr. Jonathan Smith was on with us not too long ago, several months ago, I think, and uh, or back uh, sometime last year. But uh, just in case you didn't get to meet him, we're going to reintroduce him to you today. So tell us a little bit about yourself and sort of where you are in your training right now and uh, what's going to happen in the near future. Good morning, Dr. Stewart. Thanks for having me back. Um, so uh, just to start at the beginning, I did most of my growing up in Georgia and went to medical school at Mercer and following medical school, I uh, pursued a career in internal medicine and pediatrics. And so um, I came to the University of Mississippi to complete my training. Um, I am in my fourth year and will be done in just a few short months. And I'm excited to uh, take on a new role at the Children's Hospital next year as a pediatric chief resident, um, essentially um, taking on some administrative uh, roles as well as some teaching and some, um, some hospitalist work. Yeah, we're we're uh, happy to have Dr. Smith and his family. Uh, got a new baby in the in the house too, right? Yes, we uh, we are very happy to uh, have a three month old at our house. And while sleep is at a premium, it uh, <laughs> it is still a whole lot of fun. Yeah, speaking of sleep, so I had uh, you know uh, this is a plug to uh, secure your home with safety devices with um, with fire extinguishers and CO two detectors. Uh, however. Uh, you know, as, as you know, if you have those in your house, which everybody should in, in bedrooms and key areas, um, they tend to not, they, they go off if the battery dies, always in the middle of the night. I, I don't know what the design flaw is there. So at 1245, I was awakened by the, the characteristic little cricket beep uh, right outside my, my bedroom. So I had to go... Uh, you know, find something to so I could reach it and fill it around with it. Uh, finally got it to stop. But, yeah, if you've got a young child, you know, as Dr. Smith and his family know, uh, that is that is a tough thing to uh, to get through. But three months, you're getting out of that a little bit. Yeah, she's, be. she's starting to sleep through the night yeah. a lot better. Yeah. Fun times, fun times. Well, we're talking about heart health since it's American Heart Month um, this month in February. And, uh, you know, last week was Wear Red Day. That's uh, a day that we uh, try to raise awareness for cardiovascular disease prevention in women, uh, which traditionally you don't think about that. You think about heart attacks and strokes affecting men, but more women are affected by those uh, conditions uh, than men, if you look at the total numbers. So it's something that can affect all of us. Now, some people might say, yeah, I've heard about this. Maybe you've heard about it on Southern Remedy and some of our other programs during the week uh, or in the news. Uh, you've seen it. Why are we talking about it on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens? Well, every child and adolescent eventually grows up, and some of the, the uh, you know early effects of different risk factors can already predispose kids to having heart disease and stroke. And 
lot of people think, yeah, they can worry about that when they get older. You know, my kid, they can eat bad as long as they're physically active. Uh, the data just doesn't suggest that. And, and we know a lot of things about that that can, you know, that can be a big influence in them uh, getting a heart attack or stroke, which we don't want to do. We, and um, certainly from a MedPeds perspective, you know, uh, I, I, like uh, Dr. Smith, I take care of uh, both kids and adults and with a particular interest in cardiovascular disease, particularly uh, hypertension in children. And unfortunately, we see all too much a lot of these sort of adult diseases that have affected adults and and particularly older adults are creeping down into younger ages. So it's not uncommon for us to see a patient in their 20s or 30s with a heart attack or stroke, unfortunately. And uh, despite all the advances that we've made over the last 40 years, with interventions once you have a stroke, early recognition of that. You know, we have wonderful medications to help uh, treat those conditions early so that you don't have the massive strokes that you used to have or to make sure that you don't have a repeat event of that. Um, But it's a big deal. Just to give you some numbers, um, 17 million deaths a year are attributable to either heart attack or stroke in this country. And uh, because of the increased rates of obesity and the aging population by 2030, that's expected to go to 23.6 million people who die of a heart attack or stroke. And as I mentioned earlier, one in three women will die of cardiovascular disease uh, in their lifetime. So that's it's a big risk. Uh, and, and it is something that we see earlier on in childhood. So uh, so what really influences that risk? What are some of the things that can contribute to that heart attack or stroke? There are some, some medical conditions that if you have them, put you in an increased risk of that. And certainly having them at an earlier age, uh, you have longer time periods to have that damage to your heart or to your brain or to other organs too. So things like hypertension, high blood pressure, uh, diabetes, uh, both type 1 and type 2 diabetes, or high cholesterol, all of those things, uh, along with obesity and with inactivity, uh, can can increase your risk. And we're seeing that more in peds, right, Dr. Smith? Yes. Uh, even during my residency over the last uh, three and a half or four years, there's there's been a larger number of patients being referred over to us because of um, these conditions. And and while they are chronic conditions, they do start somewhere. Um, And um, we are trying to get a better handle on, um, you know, reducing the the amount of time that people carry these risk factors. So um, part of that goes back to parents and part of that goes back to children and and helping children to understand that they have to be responsible for their own health, even at an earlier age than what we thought before. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, it's always amazing. I have a lot of learners in my hypertension, my Pete's hypertension clinic with me and uh, medical students and, and residents in pediatrics and, and med peds. Uh, and it's amazing when they, you know, they can see an eight year old uh, who has hypertension. Um, and it's, it, you know, 40 years ago, that would have been unheard of. But unfortunately, because of the obesity rates that we see in the state and in the southeast and the nation as a whole, uh, you, you see an increase in those uh, conditions. We're talking about Heart Health Month and uh, how that affects your family, your kids. Maybe you have a question about that. Uh, maybe your child has had a blood pressure that's elevated or maybe they've had a blood sugar uh, or maybe you have a suspicion that they might have some of those risk factors. We'd love to take your questions this morning or comments 
Uh, you can re- reach us this morning by calling one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email us at kids and teens at mpbonline dot org. Uh, so so we see that we see the the cholesterol that's higher sometimes the high blood pressure. Uh, and most of those are related to obesity and inactivity. Um, you know, a lot of families, too, will have such strong family histories when you get to talking to them about that, which is a usual thing that we do in the office to start to explore who in their family has had different things. You know, a lot of people don't realize the reasons why we do that is to sort of tease out the genetics. Because if you've had, uh, you know, a a relative, say a mom, dad, or uncle, or aunt, who has had a heart attack in their 50s, which is an early time to have a heart attack or a stroke, that's a big deal that could play into effect and and raise the risk for your kids or grandkids. Um, So it's something we ask about. And um, um, certainly diet and exercise are those modifiable risk factors um, you know, you can't change your genetics. You're sort of born with that. You can, I guess you can blame your parents or, or that's something that, you know, kids uh, tell them when they come in the office. If everybody in the family has high blood pressure, then maybe you can blame your parents for that a little bit. But there are some things that you can change, and we call those modifiable risk factors. And those are things like diet. What we eat, uh, we'll, we'll uh, be exploring that this morning, really can have an effect on cardiovascular disease. Exercise or physical activity can have a big uh, a, a part in that. And then there's some other things, some bad habits that we pick up from time to time that children, unfortunately, are still doing. Uh, smoking is probably one of the biggest risk factors. Uh, we know that, uh, you know, kids uh, are still smoking. There's uh, Now we're starting to see some increased risk from vaping uh, just because of the substances are in there. So it's certainly not, you know, a, a benign thing that, uh, that kids can pick up. If they're vaping, see a lot of that on the road. Actually, when I pick up my kids from school, I'll see uh, some kids that, that look like they're in high school. They're vaping as they're escaping from school. I guess the escape vape. How about that, Jay? So, um, so you know, certainly see all those risk factors that you can change. Um, you started a new slogan. That's the right. Direction. The, yeah, I did. I should. Okay, I'll think about that during the break, and maybe we vaping can reverse that. Vaping is escaping. That. Vaping is escaping. Well, we no. I, my thought. Okay, here's my thought. Robert Morris online too. <laughs> here's my thought. Okay, for a commercial for for the anti-vape commercial. All right. It involves. Uh, it, we're going to have to talk to to Lucas and uh, to Disney for the rights for this. But it involves Darth Vader, and uh, Darth Vader comes in and he's in costume and he's you know it's the the black mask and everything and he's breathing heavily. And he starts to vape, and then he coughs and coughs and everything. And and you don't want to be like Darth Vapor. Very good. Okay. All right. Very there we good. go. A little bit of laughter I hear from the booth in there. <laughs> I, I said think Robert it Morris. Would sell. I think Philip Morris is who I want. Philip Morris. Yeah. I was. I I can connect with that. I didn't quite know who you Not were talking that about. Not right school in New England. <laughs> All right. So why focus on kids? Why do we need to focus on kids, Dr. Smith? I mean, shouldn't they? Shouldn't we just put all our eggs in the uh, adult basket and uh, sort of target them for, for risk factors? Well, I think certainly there are um, plenty of adults that need to uh, work on their modifiable risk factors, as we've been talking about. But um, one of the things that we could even call modifiable is that uh, lifestyle that 
parents are teaching their children. So um, if we can, it's similar to learning how to walk or learning how to read. If, if they can learn how to take care of themselves and do it well at a young age, then hopefully it will continue throughout their entire lifetime. Um, and if it's essentially we're trying to get at the source of the problem right, um, before right. it gets started. Yeah, you know, you're exactly right. That's a good point. We don't think about how you develop those early health habits. And I think a lot of families take them for granted. A lot of families, the parents are active. Uh, they may pay a little bit more attention to the types of foods that their kids are eating um, and not even think about it really a whole lot. Uh, but those are the things that kids, kids from those families are less likely to develop obesity, to develop hypertension and diabetes even later in life because they've established those those healthy habits. And, um, you know, it's a lot about us, too. You know, as a culture uh, in Mississippi and in the South, food is who we are. It's not just what we eat. It's a part of us. And, I, I you know, I encountered this very early on when I started talking to families about changing some of the foods that they ate normally uh, and some of them became sort of irate at me. You know, they were like, why, why do I need to change this? This is our family. We do this. This is part of us. Uh, and it's a cultural change that has to happen sometimes. Um, but it's hard to do. It's very hard to do. And I think you're right. I think a lot of the concentration needs to be at the family level, not just at the child to change some things. And in a lot of ways, it's unfair. I see, I'm sure you see a lot of families where the dad looks at the child and says, you need to be doing this. And then, you know, we have the uh, courage to ask the parents, okay, well, what are you doing? And there's crickets in the room because they don't, uh, you know, they're not uh, doing anything themselves. So there is some evidence, too, uh, when we talk about the early, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, it's got to start somewhere. And we know now that it does start fairly early. So there's been a couple of big studies that looked at when does the the absolute you know when does cardiovascular disease start when do you get plaque or uh, a stopping up of the of the arteries going to the heart of the brain when does that start does it start when you're 20 30 40 and we have a couple of studies that looked at that one of which was in this area it was the bogalusa heart study uh that dr berenson um uh, was the principal investigator of. This is the guy from, from uh, South uh, Louisiana who started looking at um, down in Bogalusa, Mississippi, is what it's named after. And they looked at autopsy studies from kids and, and adolescents who died of other causes. And in particular, they looked at a number of things. They looked at the arteries in the heart uh, from these kids and adolescents and the arteries going to their brain. We call them the carotid arteries. And the, what they noticed was uh, surprisingly, there were already some early changes in those blood vessels down to age five. Uh, so at age five is when you can start doing that. Uh, so really early changes that can happen. We're talking about Heart Health Month this morning. Uh, how can you prevent cardiovascular disease and ensure that your family stays healthy, not just for today, but for tomorrow? Uh, lots of time for questions. We're going to be talking a little bit, shifting gears into nutrition and then into physical activity in a little bit. But we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be right back after this break.
It's the new administration's first 100 days, and the news is coming fast. Protesters arrived here. Keystone so- XL pipeline. The Affordable Care Act. New refugee Obamacare. admissions for 100. All things considered, we'll be here to help you make sense of it all. Listen every day. I'm Jeremy Hobson. Republicans have yet to release their plan to fix or replace Obamacare. We'll ask former Secretary of Health and Human Services Kathleen Sebelius what should happen to the law and if she has any regrets about how it passed in the first place. Well, I think it would have been helpful to have Republican votes from the get-go. That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MVB Think Radio. can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens with Dr. Jimmy Stewart. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, kids at mbbonline.org. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with Dr. Jonathan Smith, and we're talking about Heart Health Month, how that is affecting our children now for the future, and how can we sort of stop those things happening in the future. And I got an email this morning as we're talking about things, about something specifically. This is Jake from Yazoo City who says, I have a toddler, and I'm wondering about a heart attack or stroke in youth that age. It seems something that's almost impossible. I've heard about kids and strokes. What are the dangers or possibilities for toddlers for having these? Thanks for sending that in, Jake. So that's a scary thing to think about. And certainly there are uh, times or conditions where you might see that, unfortunately, in that age range. Uh, However, uh, the toddler age range is very unlikely to have a stroke. And I guess we should back up and and, uh, sort of explain what a stroke is. A lot of people, it's a hard concept to... Uh, to understand, uh, you know, exactly what that, what is a stroke. So a stroke, it means that you have decreased blood supply to an area of the brain, uh, and it can be caused by a number of things. You can have a stroke if you, if you think about uh, your yard as your brain, and uh, you're watering your yard in the hot Mississippi summer to keep that grass alive. If you, uh, if you have a kink in your hose that's going out to your water sprinkler. Uh, that's going to decrease a certain part of your yard from getting that water. And eventually, if you don't water it, that grass is going to die. And our brains are very sensitive to blood flow. Like they need a lot of constant blood flow. And within about two or three minutes, you start to see some damage from that. So one of the ways that that a a person could have a stroke is if they have a decreased amount of blood to that area. So if you stop up the pipes, you stop up the blood vessels, particularly the arteries to that area of the brain, and that may be continually over years that that that, um, that uh, blood vessel narrows, or it might be very suddenly. Sometimes you can have uh, debris or other things that are in the arteries, or a clot that travels up into the brain and occludes that vessel that blocks that vessel, so that you're not getting a blood supply to that area. Another way might be something that's called a hemorrhagic stroke, which really is the same thing, except. If you uh, go back to the analogy of water in your yard, if you uh, instead of kinking that hose, if you cut a hole in that hose uh, so that the water was leaking out before it got to your sprinkler, 
then you do damage to two different places. Number one, you've got too much water where you have that cut in the hose, uh, and it could bog down and cause some damage there, and you don't get enough blood supply downstream. Uh, So a hemorrhagic stroke is when you actually have a rupture in a blood vessel. Sometimes that's uh, from congenital reasons. You can have an aneurysm. I think that's one of the things a lot of people have heard about uh, that ruptures, and you can have a stroke from that. Uh, and, and the damage is displacement, so that blood that's uh, in the surrounding areas of the brain sort of pushes against it and causes some damage uh, if, it's, if it's enough blood there. And then you don't get blood supply downstream. So two big categories. Now, with, with kids that young, with toddlers, they typically uh, haven't gotten to the point where they have, uh, you know, the, that slow narrowing of what we call atherosclerotic disease, so the plaque that builds up in, inside those walls of the blood vessel. Uh, those are things that they, they typically take time and usually a couple of decades to see. There are some, some congenital um, inheritable things that they can get. For instance, really, really high cholesterol levels, uh, then that's a reason why you can you know block up those. Um, and I'm not talking about just mildly elevated cholesterol. We're talking about really elevated, like 10 times of the, what the normal limit is of, of the bad cholesterol, either LDL or triglycerides. Uh, usually you'd have a family history of early events, or if there's an abnormal development of the blood vessels in the brain for any reason, there's a number of medical causes for that, uh, then that might predispose them from, from getting a stroke. Um, however, I don't want to, you know, uh, just sort of create this illusion that you don't have to worry about the classic stroke. Uh, as we just mentioned, you know, in uh, from Bogalusa Heart Study, there was a Korean War study that looked at, uh, you know, uh, Korean War uh, veterans down to age 16 to 18. Uh, you already have sometimes, uh, if you have bad diet, poor exercise, uh, you already lay down a plaque in those vessels over time. Uh, you think about it. Your your pipes in your house are the same way. If you put a lot of, of stuff that can build up down your drain, it's not going to clog up today. It's not going to clog up tomorrow, probably. But after a while, it does build up. And the longer it's like that, the more risk there is. So, uh, so Jake, I would say if you want to prevent strokes, uh, you know, and I'm talking about preventing them for 50, 60, 70 years uh, or more in a toddler, the best way we're going to talk about some of that is with um, uh, diet and exercise, uh, regular amounts of that. We know when we stop doing it, the effects go away. But as far as you know, some of the, the more severe strokes or heart attacks, even in that age range, uh, those are probably related to some of more of those, of those congenital conditions. And we do have screening now in pediatrics that we look for some of those things, particularly uh, cholesterol. So a lot, a lot of the screening that we do happens in the first few years of life um, because kids are coming in to get shots. And after that, a lot of times uh, visits tend to uh, fall off, especially in the school age years and then moving on into the um, adolescent or teenage years. And so one of the easiest things that we can do to screen is just to have kids come back to the office. And we can have discussions about the modifiable risk factors. You know, when you come to the office, we're going to take your blood pressure and look at that. We're going to talk to you about what you're eating and see if we can make any changes there. Because we know that if you can make those changes early, that down the road, we can see a benefit or we can prevent a stroke or a heart attack, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago or later. So um, 
a lot of times parents think that just because they're not getting shots anymore that they don't need to bring their kids back to the office, but it's actually quite the opposite. Yeah, it is. And I, I, you know, you, you you look at your child, they look perfectly healthy. And, uh, you know, we don't have, if you if you were a fan of CSI, there was that, you know, scenes in CSI where you suddenly go all the way into blood vessels and you see what's happening in there. Um, we don't have that. So we don't have an ability to do that. And when your child is looking okay on the outside, uh, you know, parents don't really think about doing that. And um, preventive, regular preventive health visits are important to pick up on those things. Um, and the, the you're right. The age group that we that we tend to dr- see a drop off in those visits is during adolescence. Uh, you know, and you got busy schedules. Um, you know, there's the kids are involved in all kinds of other things. You've got two schedules, both the kid and the the parent. So it is difficult, but it, it's important. And you certainly, what we know is, if you do that on a regular basis, you're much more likely to pick up on things earlier. Uh, so that you can uh, you can intervene in that, and that's not always a medication. It may be you know something else that we're doing. So speaking of medication, that's not medication. Um, nutrition is a big deal, and you hear you know on this program and others, and at your physician's office, that's certainly something that's important. Um, mention a little bit about how that atherosclerotic disease uh, builds up in over time in blood vessels. Uh, cholesterol is one of the, the reasons why we have that, but there are others. So high blood pressure, even if it's not typically in the high blood pressure range, prehypertension, which is sort of uh, just a little bit lower than, than hypertension, we wouldn't necessarily treat it with a medication, but it's still more you know higher than, than what the normal range would be. All those things, they put a lot of stress on those those blood vessel walls. And over time, you can have scarring of those walls. It's an inflammatory process. you got a lot of special cells that move into there uh, called foam cells, nasty-sounding cells. And, uh, and they cause this big plaque that can rupture and travel downstream, and it can decrease the amount of blood flow to those areas. Um, and that happens. The, the first steps in that process happen fairly early. Um, some of the earlier research looked at which parts of, you know, they, they noticed that some areas of the world had people that lived incredibly long lives and didn't have any heart disease. Uh, on, in North America, there was um, the uh, Tarahumara Indians of, um, of Mexico who had very low uh, fat in their diet. They had basically, you know, low-calorie diets. They were incredibly physically active. Uh, the, for sport, they used to run down deer. I mean, they were incredibly active. Virtually had zero uh, incidence of heart attack or stroke. They didn't even know what that was uh, until their lifestyle changes. In the Mediterranean, we know that in uh, you know the Mediterranean area, we have very low risk of heart attack and stroke with traditional diets. Um, and so they looked at it's these areas and, and thought, okay, you know, we know genetics may have play a part in that. But what about eating foods, certain types of foods? Could could that um, sort of protect you against getting that? And that's, that was some of the earlier research. And from that research, they, they did some specific trials, particularly the, probably the biggest one was the DASH diet. That's not Mrs. DASH. It's dietary approaches to stop hypertension. So it was really just a Mediterranean diet. So it's high in fruits and vegetables, uh, the very low in fat. The fat sources uh, actually are uh, nuts and olive oil or other vegetable oils. Not a whole lot of red meat. Um, 
Uh, the the main meats were uh, you know things that swim and fly, so uh, chicken, uh, turkey, uh, and uh, and fish, but not a whole lot of that. And they, that that has been proven as a successful treatment, not only for high blood pressure. Actually, it can be very successful in treating high blood pressure, particularly in in children and adolescents, but also in adults, uh, but also to prevent heart disease and stroke. So, uh, so we know that we have these interventions of of diet. Uh, if we can change that early on, they can have big effects. And it is medicine. It is uh, just as as powerful as medications. We're going to take a short break right now, and then when we come back, we're going to continue talking a little bit about nutrition and throw in a little exercise and understand how that's important too. You can give us a call this morning as we talk about heart health at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. I'm Robert Krilwich from Radiolab. We're told that smell triggers memories in the brain. So if you're in your car, let's try something. Roll up your windows and inhale, okay? There are some memories you cherish and others that just um, linger. But now here's a thought. How about contributing this barrel of aroma that is your car to your favorite public radio station? And you might even get a tax deduction. Thanks. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens, with Dr. Jimmy Stewart. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, kids at mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with Dr. Jonathan Smith, and we're talking about Heart Health Month. How can you decrease the risk of your family? That includes you and your children, the risk of heart attack and stroke later on in life. So we know nutrition is extremely important. We just got through talking about that a little bit. So here's a question. So what are the diets that work? You know, we get that a lot in clinic. Like, okay, when you say diet, it does mean, you know, well, first of all, it's a negative connotation when you throw it out there. When you, Most people consider diets as something that's, you know, in practice very temporary. 
Uh, it's something that you do to usually lose weight. Uh, and I think the way we're talking about it is actually uh, something that's preventative and it's more permanent. It's something that you would continue doing uh, rather than do for a you know short time period. But, you know, parents uh, come in and they say, okay, when you say this diet, uh, you know, they need to change what they eat as medicine for treating or preventing something. What does that mean? I mean, is there's lots of, if you Google diets, there's no telling how many thousands of different things you're going to come up with, you know, and they're all named for extravagant places like Malibu and South Beach and uh, all these kinds of things. So what works, particularly for kids and adolescents, what things work? So one of, one of the big things about that age range is that they want to get their hands on anything that tastes good. And what we need to do is try to refocus. For, for adults, too, by and, the way. And yeah. for adults. We need to refocus them from an early age so that they carry that through life, um, that there are things that taste good that are good for you at the same time. Um, and we've looked at uh, lots of different studies, you know, the Malibu or whichever type of diet you're you're looking at on the Internet or watching on TV, you know, they're always going to tell you that there was science behind that weight loss. But if you look deeper into why that is happening for all of these types of diets, it's mostly because of the number of calories that you're cutting out. So, you know, people are always wondering, well, I'm going to do, I'm going to cut out all my protein or I'm going to cut out all of my carbs. But in reality, it's the number of calories that you're, that you're cutting out that really is the bigger difference. Um, You know, you need to make sure that you're focusing on keeping a balanced diet as you're decreasing that number of calories. So for instance, your body needs carbs in order to mobilize fat. So if you're not taking in carbs, then the body doesn't really know what to do with it if you're trying to burn fat with your particular diet. Um, and, and you know, cutting out the things that, that we like to eat because they taste good, it's okay to have them in moderation. It's just we don't need to be eating those on a regular basis every single day. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's sort of if, if you're eating something to lose weight, that's why it can work if you just ate potatoes all the time. Uh, but if you cut back the total calories, uh, you know, you, you could lose weight doing that. However, uh, as Dr. Smith said, uh, you still have to have lots of micronutrients. So the micronutrients and you have to have carbohydrates, protein and fat in every diet. You have to have those uh, in varying amounts. But there's also micronutrients. So those are all those vitamins and minerals that we need, uh, amino acids that we need, uh, particularly in children to grow and develop normally. Uh, and if you don't get those and you can have vitamin deficiencies, it's, it's, you know, there's other things that can go wrong if you do that. So a balanced diet, particularly one that's high in fruits and vegetables, uh, is probably one of the more important things to do. And what I tell families, too, is uh, you don't need to get fancy. You don't need to get fancy, and you don't need to break the bank. Uh, while it is it is true, it is more uh, expensive to buy healthier foods in general. You can get more calories for less money in fast foods. I mean, it's, it's easy to do that. They won't fill you up as much because they have less fiber. Uh, but it is it is more difficult to do that. But you don't have to go really crazy and... Uh, and I tell people, too, I'm, I'm sort of a practical guy on my approach. You know, it's okay if you had a piece of pizza once a week. Um, I, you know, and, that, and kids usually perk up when they hear that. I just tell them, don't eat the whole pizza and, uh, you know, don't uh, do that every day. But uh, and, and to substitute, it's not just about not eating the things that are bad for you. It's about eating the things that are good for you. So substituting 
You know, if you're eating pizza every day, substituting fruits or vegetables and trying those out, trying new foods. Uh, my goodness, you know, we, we get into ruts about uh, just eating the same thing over and over. And uh, I'll have parents come in and say, you know, Johnny eats, uh, all he'll eat is, is a hamburger and French fries, and he'll never try anything else. And what I'll usually say is I've never seen a kid starve to death. Uh, if you offer them other things over time, eventually they will get hungry enough and eat that. And some parents may think that's cruel, but, you know, I guess the perspective of it is if you do that over and over again all your life, at 20 or 30, you're looking at a heart attack or a stroke. Uh, that's something that needs to be changed. So our our bodies are designed to crave those things because that's where you're getting the highest number of calories in a quick, short burst. And so it takes a little bit more work for us to go after those things that are more healthy for us. And so if we can start that early and as far as teaching children that, that, that that's a healthy lifestyle to eat fruits and vegetables and to have a balanced diet, then that will go a lot further than just childhood. They'll take that into their adult years as well. Um, one of the other things that, uh, that we talked about um, a little bit earlier is that, you know, when parents are coming, bringing their kids in the office and we're discussing, you know, diet and, and what kinds of things they should be eating, a lot of times parents will say things like, well, whenever they come home from school or, you know, they get done with their activities, they come straight home and they go straight for the pantry and they get into the potato chips and or they get into the candy or they get into cookies or anything else that that tends to be a high calorie food. And And my typical response to that is, you know, little Johnny at eight or nine years old probably isn't going to the grocery store all the time, right? So, you know, parents are the big uh, rate limiting step in what gets brought into the house. And so if there's not all sorts of chips and candy and and cookies in the pantry, that there's pretty good chance that those kids aren't going to be able to get into those things. Yeah, access to food is a big, uh, you know, it's it's something to think about. And um, I ask, a good thing to ask yourselves if you're a physician or if you go to a nutritionist and, uh, you know, to get more input about what you're eating is always a good thing. So a food diary is a great way to just sit down because you really don't understand how much you eat, number one, and the types of foods that you eat until you put it down on paper. And um, taking a food diary uh, over a 24-hour period or even a week can be very useful in seeing the types of foods that you're eating uh, and, you know, when we start talking about what is recommended for kids and adults, it's five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. A serving size would be what a child can put in their in the palm of their hand, not piled up a mile high, but just, you know, in, in the in the palm of their hand. Five servings of those every day. Um, that's that's a lot when you start thinking about it. And, you know, most kids, most, we're talking about the majority of kids get less than three servings a day. And uh, up to a third, depending on what study you're looking at, aren't getting, uh, they're getting less than two servings a day of fruits and vegetables. Uh, so that's, that's very worrisome. I mean, we, I, we haven't even begun to see the effects of that uh, over 50, 60, 70 years. Um, so that's something to think about. And, and the access to food is a big deal. You mentioned that. Um, something else that I hear a lot is, uh, you know, you have the eight or nine year old and if they do go to the grocery store or they go out, they'll say, uh, the, you know, choice is good in kids, giving them, you know, sort of a, a choice of what they can eat is always a good thing, but you want to be a parent about that and sort of modify that, uh, to, to healthier things. I was talking to a family one time and they said, you know, every time we go to the grocery store, 
he just wants to eat cookies and uh and, and potato chips and that's it that's that's the things that he picks out so i buy them for him and uh my my analogy for that is the snake in the grass analogy so if i, I ask him if you go outside of your house out in the backyard and your child pointed to a copperhead a poisonous snake in the backyard and said i want that would you pick it up and give it to him and the family says well no i would never do that and I said, okay, then you have to think when you see that bag of chips, that's a snake in the grass. I don't want that snake in my home. I don't want that snake to come in and harm my family. And, um, you know, there's other things out there that can be good to eat. And, and most of food preferences uh, are not ingrained from birth. They're, uh, they're things that we learn over time. And, and giving a child, particularly starting early and giving a child uh, a number of fruit, foods, a wide range of foods, uh, healthy foods to choose from and to eat and to try, uh, you know, and that first time that they eat them, particularly if you're talking about an infant or a toddler, um, you know, baby food, when you're starting to give them things, there's there are certain tastes and textures that they have to get used to. And it might take a, a week or two to really, you know, get that uh, to get them used to that. We're talking about Heart Health Month uh, today on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens and how to make a difference in your family. You can give us a call if you have questions about this or any other health topic that is impacting your family at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email us at kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. There's a lot to be discovered about Mississippi. Like the little-known places you can visit on a Mississippi road trip. Or where to find a local brewery for a unique experience. Every Friday morning at 10, we take you on an hour-long journey through Mississippi. It's music, cuisine, culture, and history. And you never know where our next stop will be. I'm Mary Margaret Miller. And I'm Sharia Brent. Be sure to join us Friday mornings at 10 for Next Stop Mississippi on MPB Think Radio. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens, with Dr. Jimmy Stewart. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, kids at mpbonline.org. back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with Dr. Jonathan Smith, and we're talking about Heart Health Month, 
how to keep your kids healthy and your family healthy and avoid the risk of cardiovascular disease, particularly heart attack and stroke. Just had a caller that uh, called in and, and uh, wanted to mention you know, the toddler ages are some of the most uh, frustrating ones from a number of things. You know, they don't want to eat things. They're picky eaters. Uh, you're dealing with potty training. Uh, lots of things that can go on. They're into everything. They pull down stuff. It's a frustrating time for parents. And it, sometimes it's easier to, you know, choose some foods that they like just because you want to, uh, you, number one, there's times as a parent you want them to leave you alone and you want to have your 10 minutes of, of mommy or daddy time where you can be sane uh, for the rest of the day or the week. So, But that is an important thing is, is those diets during that time. Uh, and there's some great resources for that. Again, you don't have to be fancy with that. And I would, I would, uh, I would be creative, though, in how I would do it and try to you know, pick out some things that the whole family can eat. Number one, it's not fair if a teenage brother or sister is eating potato chips in front of the toddler, and they're having to eat their vegetables. Uh, and so everybody needs to be on the same page. It's it's very hard to do that in the same family uh, if if one person gets the the wild card and they can they can eat what they want. So everybody has to be on board. There's more success with that. Uh, but being consistent with it about trying things. Watch what your language is with your toddler. In other words, don't say. You probably won't like this, but here, uh, I want you to try it. So be upbeat and be, uh, you know, positive about it. Uh, it always helps if you can eat it first and then give it to them. If it's something that you have an aversion to, uh, maybe the other parent can do that. Um, so there's, choices is the biggest thing. And the other thing is to you choose as the parent, you choose the types of food that your, uh, that your child eats and the amount. Uh, and most of the time, they're going to self-regulate how much they eat, but you put that on the plate. Um, so you tend to eat more if we are in a grazing situation where you have the food out in front of you and everybody has continual access to that. So if you put the food on the plate, then take the plate, sit together to eat. If you eat in front of a screen, a TV device, you're more likely to eat more. Um, it's a great time for conversation, which is a lost art in families these days, a lost uh, reality. Uh, but those are some of the things. And then there's other things, other sites that you can go to that have more information for kids. Yeah, one of the ones that I direct my parents to is uh, put on by the government called ChooseMyPlate.gov. And it essentially has a schematic of what your plate should look like if you're eating a balanced diet. And so, you know, about half of your plate uh, on a regular basis should be fruits and vegetables. The other half of the plate should be protein, lean protein, like what Dr. Stewart was talking about, something that swims or something that flies. And then that remaining portion is uh, meant for grains like rice or potatoes. And then a very small portion uh, is meant for the dairy, like the, you know, butter and ice cream and all the things that uh, the body still needs, but in much smaller amounts um, than those other mentioned um, um, food groups. So um, that's a good place to go. Again, that's choosemyplate.gov. Um, and of course, you know, in the older kiddos, you know, moving into adolescence, you know, of course, everybody's got their smartphone. And uh, there's quite a few apps out there. And um, 
we're not putting a specific plug-in for anyone in particular, but one of the ones that I've seen a lot of uh, parents and teenagers come in and ask about is called MyFitnessPal, and it's put on through Under Armour. And, and what it is, is is a large database of foods that you could pick up at local places or foods that you could even pick up at the grocery store. So for instance, you know, four ounces of chicken or, you know, four ounces of beef or four ounces of apple or whatever you're eating. And it will have the amount of calories and it can break it down as far as are you uh, you know, consuming a balanced diet. So, you know, if, if kids want to be on their smartphones, then at least we can try to push them in a way that that's going to be productive towards their health. Yeah, and use it as a tool to do that. And, you know, you can incorporate so many things in that. I know a lot of teachers are incorporating that in their classrooms to learn more about other skills. So you can, if you have a, a lesson plan on math, uh, you can incorporate that then in, in there as you're talking about portion sizes or calories and how that adds up and uh, throughout the day. So it's a lot of different ways that you can can use those things to your advantage and uh, and getting your kids involved in that process early is important. I remember my youngest child saying one time at the grocery store he picked up something and looked at the side after you know he learned how to read the labels and he was like, "Oh my gosh, this has got so many calories in it." Actually, he he talks like Keanu Reeves from Point Break all the time, so it's more like, "Oh my gosh." This has so many calories. So uh, it's for effect, I guess that's what he does. So um, let's talk a little bit. We've got a couple of minutes left about physical activity because that's important to uh, not as much as what we eat for weight loss, but from a standpoint of preventing cardiovascular disease, extremely important. We are a sedentary dis- uh, society. We don't move around as much as we used to. Uh, we, we don't move hardly at all, uh, but physical activity certainly is very important. It can have a number of effects on lowering blood, fre- uh, blood pressure, on uh, making it easier for your heart to pump blood because it gets more efficient at doing that, uh, at decreasing the amount of plaque in blood vessels. Uh, they've done studies on, on physical activity that raised a substance called TPA. This is the same stuff, that the, the, sort of the clot buster medication that they use to clear out clots when you have them. Uh, the, the body makes its own TPA that goes up 200% after exercise, but you lose that effect if you quit exercising after about two weeks. So we were made to move. And a lot of people don't understand exactly how much, particularly a kid, needs uh you know with with physical activity um you know i have some parents that say okay i'm on board with this i want my kids to exercise i want them to have enough physical activity uh they're six months old right now so what do they need to do and fortunately you know kids move around a lot so normal movement playing with your children uh not putting them in a device like a seat all the time in front of a screen uh certainly at less than two years of age you really shouldn't have our recommendation is no screen time at all, no TV or anything like that for, for a kid that's less than two uh, just because of the increased risk of obesity and, and other learning developmental skills that they need to be working on. So just playing with them and allowing them to play as toddlers, most of them are going to get that the um, uh, daily uh, recommended physical activity. After that, it's recommended that they get one hour a day of physical activity. Uh, so that sounds like a lot. Uh, but you can do it, and it doesn't have to be in sports activities. It can be uh, in just what they're doing during the day. 
Well, this has been a good discussion about uh, Heart Health Month. Don't forget to get out there and get busy. Make some food choices that are healthy for you and your family so that you and your family can decrease the risk of heart attack and stroke. This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. This is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Special thanks to Dr. Jonathan Smith for joining us today. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. You can join us next Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.